Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. My preferred translation from the authorized version, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. That's the most literal rendering of the terms. We think about faith in our day so often it's set against the facts and what's true. Faith is more and more considered to be a personal opinion on things, something to keep to oneself. You have faith in things because you have no evidence. You have no particular rational reason to believe, but you choose to make that step. There's a, that children's definition I've offered before, someone saying that, well, faith is believing what you know is not true. Well, often that's how faith is treated in our world. It's what some of those extremists choose to believe. But it's not based on the facts. It's not based on the evidence. However, Scripture has a very different take on that. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. The the word in the Greek is hypostasis. It's a compound of hupo and stasis from histemi, the verb I stand. And put together, it's quite literally that which stands under, the substance, that which one builds upon, that which is substantial, is concrete. Some of you might know things of the early Trinitarian debates, the early centuries of the church, particularly what comes into the Council of Nicaea and Constantinople that follows. And it might be in your head that the the definition of the terms around the Trinity was the three persons but one God. The three persons being three hypostases and one substance, one ousia. Those were the chosen Greek words. Um, And it was to make something of the distinction. In the early debates, there was actually a little bit of trouble around that because the Greeks and the Latins banged against each other. There was a question of whether they were using the words correctly, and different sides accused the others of heresy because those two words in the early going... Apostasis and and Uzia were used almost interchangeably. Uzia is a little bit more the stuff of things, the the essence. Um, In modern translations of the creed, rather than substance, they'll say of one being with the Father. And so we get this idea of there's one Godhead, one Godhood, and yet they're the distinctiveness of the three persons. And I don't mean today to go on into further things of the Trinitarian language and the distinctiveness, just to say that there's there's been some of that struggle around the words. Well, in the first century, in the New Testament, when the word hypostasis comes up, it carries that sense of what is the concrete reality, the substance of things. It's that most literal sense. We've got it here in Hebrews 11, but it's also there in Hebrews 1 when the writer says that the Son is the, and again, there are issues of translation, but is the exact imprint of the Father's very being, of his very person. Well, it's hypostasis that's there as well. So this is a substantial term. Substance is my preferred translation because it catches that. 
when the writer talks about what faith is, not saying it's a shot in the dark, it's rather the concrete apprehension of what we hope for, the substance of things hoped for. And again, that word hope is another one of those ones that comes into our modern day in a rather uh, insubstantial fashion. When we talk about hoping, so often we mean something that's wistful, that it would be nice if these things were that way. You know, some will say, well, I hope that I win the contest or I win the lottery. I, for years, would give the example with my students of saying, well, you know, I'm a Toronto Maple Leafs fan and I hope that the Leafs will win the Stanley Cup. Well, people would shake their heads and often think, well, that's a pretty insubstantial hope. Well, the Leafs are a pretty good hockey team and I could talk sports at another stage, but it's not so wistful a hope these days as it might once have been. And in fact, I'm old enough that the Leafs used to win the Stanley Cup in my young days. But again, I won't sidetrack on that. When we're talking about the Christian hope, we're not talking about something that's wistful in that way, that it would be a nice thing. We're talking about what God has promised and therefore we trust in. When we say we lay hold of the hope that we have in Christ, it's not just it would be a nice dream to see fulfilled, but God has promised and we know that he is trustworthy and true. And so what he has said he will do, he will do. We hope because we're not there yet. In Romans 8, Paul is writing about this, this hope that is at work in the whole creation. So there's this deep groaning like a woman groaning in her in her labor pains, you know, longing to give birth, that we know that the child is ready to be born. We're just not to the birth yet. And he uses the language at that point of saying, well, for in this hope we are saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. And the patience is there because we know this is coming. God has promised it will come. The creation longs in that way. How much those of us who have been given the first fruits of the Spirit long for this. The substance of things hoped for. I, I've talked about uh, the word for, for believing before. I've said that the, the verb in Greek is pistuo. And pistis is faith. So it's really to put faith in one. And sometimes when we talk about believing, you know, we believe in God and we use the language as though we were believing in a proposition. We were choosing to believe in something that may or may not be true. But we make that intellectual step. If I talk about putting my faith in someone, there's much more the sense that I'm putting trust in. This isn't just about an intellectual exercise. It's actually about staking my life on these things. When we talk about faith and we talk about the substance of that hope, we're talking about that which does lay hold, which really leads into the next part of it, which is it goes on to say that it's the evidence of things not seen. Now, our translation was the conviction, which is, is okay. The, the Greek word here is elenchus, 
And the Alenkis in a, in an argument or in a legal case was the convicting evidence. You know, what really gives you what you need to, to make the judgment. Conviction works here except that sometimes when we say, well, I'm, you know, I'm convinced that this is true or I've got this conviction that it's right, we use it like we use hope again. We're saying, well, I'd really like it to be. You know, I'm, I'm gonna act as though it were true. It may or may not be. Whereas here, the sense is much more. This is, again, it's substantial. This, there's evidence in hand. In John 16, when Jesus is talking about the coming of the Holy Spirit and what the Spirit's role will be, referring to the, the parakletos, the, the paraclete, the helper, the comforter, consoler, counselor, whatever term the translations might render. He says, when he comes, he will convince the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment, of sin because they do not believe in me, of righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no more, of judgment because the ruler of this world is judge. And the verb being used there is lenko which is the verb form of Elenchus. It's he will convince the world. He will, he will give the evidence. The New International Version actually renders it as he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. Jesus is clear when the Spirit comes, there will be that concrete evidence. But it's not the evidence like we deal with in the world. It's not so much that there are a series of facts that that you can measure and set out there and and apply to somebody else's standards, the evidence that is being talked about is that first-hand experience, that first-hand knowing of the Lord who makes the promises and is trustworthy. On one hand, we're not there yet. We can't see the fulfillment of all these things, but it's not, as I referred to earlier, just the shot in the dark What's being said about faith is faith is much more putting one's hand into the hand of God. I I think about children and their fathers, well, and their parents, their mothers as well. But, you know, the little guy who's kind of up on some high point and he needs to get down. He calls out, Dad, catch me. And he flings himself off. well, dads, uh, there are some of those heart-stopping moments when you really want to be sure you catch. But the little one has the faith that the father will catch him. And he has good reason to believe that. It's again, it's not just that he's going to fling himself off into space, but into the father's arms. Mom goes out of the room and she says, I'll be right back. And her little girl doesn't go into a panic thinking, well, this is the end. Mom has left me. Well, no. The expectation is that mom who said, I'll be right back, will be right back. Maybe she's a little delayed, and if she's delayed long enough, the child might get anxious, but it's got to do with that relationship. It's got to do with that confidence, not just believing in something, but putting faith, confidence in someone whose word is trustworthy and true. We have in our other scriptures today, well, in Hebrews and the rest of Hebrews as well, some of the words about this being a faith that you do step out in, that you do trust in, that you do stake your life, your safety, your hopes on. 
the, the wisdom passage, it's a little bit of stranger reference back, but it's referring to the Exodus, to the people coming out of Egypt. And you go back to that story, you know that there was a confidence that God was going to do what he said he would do. They stumble a little bit, some of them, but he says that those who take the appropriate steps, kill the paschal lamb, use the blood and mark the doorposts and lentils of the house, will be delivered, will be spared the last plague that is coming and will be led out of their bondage. And they take the action, they take that step in faith and God leads them out. They come to the Red Sea. They quaver, but Moses stands in that faith, that substantial faith. The way is open through the sea. Again and again, the the faith put into action is proven to be that trust in God and the trustworthiness of his word. Well, we see it in Abraham. That's the rest of the Hebrews passage. One of those ones that's intriguing because we're reminded that while the faith of Abraham was that which stepped out and took God at his word and staked his whole life on it, that Sarah's part of that promise as well. It's a little bit interesting that she has that faith to conceive. I I'm not so sure that she would have said she had faith to conceive, maybe to endure the, the whole process of her pregnancy at a pretty advanced stage in her life. But God's promises come to fruition through them as they step out in that faith and trust. Jesus, likewise, in his words to his disciples, says that God will do what he promises. The master who goes away, those who trust their master, those who are the good stewards. It's not just that they believe that he will return, but they also believe that he knows what he's doing and giving them their tasks. So they do the things. The unfaithful stewards, they're the ones who are ruled by fear. They're really slaves, they're not real servants. They're not real stewards of their master's things. They're slaves. When the master's out of sight, they get up to things that concern just themselves. They don't trust the master. They don't know what he's going to do when he comes back. They don't trust him in his punishments. They don't trust him in the good things. So they get off to doing what they want to do. Interesting that Jesus says that when the master returns, if you heard the first part of that, it's not just that those who are doing what they were supposed to do will not be punished. They will be commended. But his first example was actually quite exceptional. He says, do you know what that master is going to do when he returns and finds them doing what he gave them to do? He will say, you sit down. And he will put on the apron and he will serve them. And I think somewhere in that is the hint of the glories of heaven, not that if we serve others now that the Lord is going to wait on us hand and foot in glory, but that the gifts that he has for us, the blessings that he desires to pour out are beyond our imagining, that he has further good things for us as we trust in him, as we apply ourselves in that faith. We are to know the one in whom we believe. And that's the heart of that substantial faith. One of my favorite hymns 
more evangelical days is the hymn, I know whom I have believed it. You have to pronounce it with that extra syllable in order to work with the music. The refrain is the direct quote from 2 Timothy 1, I guess verse 12. I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. And it's one of those great evangelical themes of saying, I don't know all kinds of things. I'm not sure of where much else is going in my life, but what I do know is I know the Lord. I know the one whom I believe and I put my faith in him. I trust in him. I can't always see what's coming next. I don't always know how these things will work out, but I know him and I know he's trustworthy and true. And that's the heart of real faith. Not so much believing in the propositions, though it's important that we get those things right about God. There are true teachings, but that we trust in him, that we get to know him. It's why the heart of our life of prayer is not to be just the doing of the duties, but drawing near the Lord, letting him form our hearts, our minds, our will. And so as last week, you know, set your minds on the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, the right hand of the Father. So again, as we come in this sacrament, let's come to the Lord who makes himself present with us, who is here with us in the Blessed Sacrament, who pours out his life, who desires to dwell in us to bring that conviction, to give us that substance of faith, to put our hands into the hand of God, that we might go forward in faith, be his faithful stewards, his faithful servants, that you may know whom you have believed it, and be persuaded that he is able to keep that which you've committed unto him against that day.